Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. It was very early on the first day of the week and still dark when Mary of Magdala came to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been moved away from the tomb and came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, she said, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter set out with the other disciple to go to the tomb. They ran together, but the other disciple, running faster than Peter, reached the tomb first. He bent down and saw the linen cloths lying on the ground, but did not go in. Simon Peter, who was following, now came up, went right into the tomb, saw the linen cloths on the ground, and also saw the cloth that had been over his head. This was not with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and he believed. Till this moment they failed to understand the teaching of Scripture that he must rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Christ has truly risen, as he said he would. St. Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, sorry, Colossians, tells us that we should keep our eyes fixed on heaven where Christ is. Because Christ is our head. And the one thing we know about the head, that it has a body, and we, in particular, we speak of the mystical body, the mystical body of Christ, of which we are members. We are the, the branches that have been grafted onto the vine. What the head suffers, the body likewise suffers. What the body suffers, the head also suffers. And we have our Lord's own word for this. In the case of the latter, he says, what the body suffers, the head suffers. And the classic example, of course, is that of Saul on his way to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But Christ is in heaven. He is the head. Yet what is being done to his disciples, he regards as being done to himself. And in other places, he tells us also, whatever you do to the least, you've done to me. But what the head suffers, the body necessarily must suffer as well. Because... Our Lord himself invites us. Anyone who wishes to be my disciple must, take up his, must deny himself, take up his cross every day and follow me. If they have treated the master of the house in this way, what will they not do 
to the servants, and many other examples like this. So we are one mystical body, Christ, who is our head, who has conquered sin, death, hell, Satan, is now in heaven. And yet he is still with us, as he promised, I'm with you, until the end of the age. He is still with us. And so he is part and parcel of, our, of the fabric of our life, of our life each day and every day. And it's because of this that we do not lose heart, especially in the present circumstances that we find ourselves. Christ, as we have just recalled on Good Friday, was seized in the, in the garden and his disciples ran away. Although two followed at a distance, we heard how he was cruelly treated, how he was rejected, how he was crucified, and how he was buried. Well, we shouldn't expect any different for the church, the church as his mystical body. And yet, also for us as individuals. And so we see what the world has achieved, or better still, what Satan has achieved using worldly powers, how on this great um, festival, the greatest in the church, he has managed to close the buildings, our church buildings to us, so that so many millions of our brothers and sisters are unable to celebrate the Paschal Mystery. They are unable to receive the sacred body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord in communion. And worse still, they are unable even to have their sins forgiven, whether in the sacrament of confession or in the anointing of the sick. And so the darkness that occurred when our Lord was seized in the garden and when he was crucified has, in a certain sense, fallen on us today. But we do not lose heart because we know that Christ has risen, that he has overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we do not lose heart, but we continue to believe firmly and that in his good time, we will see the church rise glorious as he himself rose gloriously on that first Easter Sunday. Our Lord was crucified. And at the third hour, at the um, ninth hour, he died. He breathed out his spirit. There were just three hours left before the, the arrival of the Sabbath. And the Jews didn't want the body on the cross as it would profane the, the Sabbath. So they asked Pilate to have the bodies removed. And so the soldier came, broke the legs of the two thieves. The reason was that, with bro in fact, they broke the arms as well as the legs, was that the crucified would no longer be able to raise himself up on his toes so that he could breathe. And so he would be asphyxiated. He would die choking because he just couldn't raise himself up to breathe. When they came to our Lord, however, they found he was already dead. And so the soldier opened his side with the lance. This was to fulfill the prophecy, certainly, but it was also to satisfy Roman law because 
they had to make sure that the crucified the criminal was dead. If he were not dead, then the soldier in charge of the crucifixion would take his place. So you, the, the, the soldiers had a vested interest in ensuring that those they crucified were dead. And then something strange happened, because ordinarily the bodies of the crucified um, were thrown into a pit, and sometimes it was covered, other times it was left for the animals to eat the body. But out of the blue, out of the darkness, comes Joseph Ramathia, a disciple, a secret disciple of our Lord. And he asks Pilate for the body. And Nicodemus comes with him, and Pilate grants their request. And so the body of our Lord is not thrown into a pit, but rather is placed in a new tomb, a new tomb that had not been used by anyone. It was, Nicodemus, it was um, Joseph's own tomb. And even there, there's a little mystery as well, because when our Lord was born, there was another Joseph to care for him. And so the body is buried. The stone is rolled across the, the entrance of the tomb. And they depart. Nobody believed that he would rise again. The disciples didn't. Even the women who were at the tomb didn't, with the exception of our Blessed Lady. The soldiers knew he was dead, and they had no concern about this resurrection, if they even heard about it. But his enemies, the Pharisees, remembered he had said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. They remember him speaking about his resurrection from the dead on many occasions in parables, um, and uh, examples such as Jonah and so on. And now they were suspicious because if Joseph of Arimathea were a disciple, then they deduced there may be a trick afoot. And so on the Sabbath, the, the, the Pharisees and chief priests, the chief priests broke the Sabbath and went to Pilate and said, this deceiver, this imposter, said while he was alive he would rise on the third day. Therefore, to prevent fraud, seal the tomb and place a guard. And Pilate is exasperated and said, do it. You take care of it yourself. So we have an incredible situation of the tomb of a dead man being guarded to stop him rising from the dead. Ordinarily, the tombs of rich men, monarchs are guarded to stop people breaking in. But here we have guards to stop someone breaking out. And so the Sabbath pass where only Our Lady believes that he would rise and on the first day of the week, the Sunday, early in the morning, it's still dark as we heard, Mary of Magdala came. St. John only mentions Mary of Magdala, but the other apostles mentioned that um, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome also were there, three women. And they went to complete the anointing of the body, because what Joseph of Arimathea had done was done hastily. There wasn't much time. The Sabbath was approaching. And so they went to complete the, the, the um, anointings of the body. And on the way, they were wondering who would take the stone away. 
And when they arrived, they found, in fact, that the stone had been rolled and the, the um, angel was sitting there. Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, did not even wait for this. The other two women did. She immediately runs, as we heard, to the apostles. And she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So she's obviously with someone else. That's why she says we. And this spurs Peter and John, who run out to go to the tomb. They ran together, and John ran, runs faster because he's younger. He was a teenager, and Peter, of course, a, a grown man. And we're told that when Peter, when John got there, he didn't go into the tomb, but he bent down, and he saw the linen cloths lying on the ground. He didn't go in. Peter arrives, and Peter enters, and we're told he saw the two linen cloths, the one that wrapped around the body and the other one around the head. And they were neatly folded, and they were separated, indicative of the body and the head, of the humanity and the divinity. And we're told they saw they saw and they believed. What did they believe? It's ambiguous. But the, the, in the meantime, the guards, when the angel appeared, they ran off and went to the chief priests to say what had happened. That the angel came and rolled the stone and the tomb was empty. And we're told the Pharisees paid them. They said, say that whilst we were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. And then a threat. If the governor gets the hair of it, we will sort it out with him. So they were blackmailing the, the, the soldiers. And... They took the money and they spread the rumor that the body had been stolen by the disciples. But that doesn't make sense because, one, the, when our Lord was arrested, the disciples ran. Indicative, they were not very courageous men. If they didn't defend him while he was alive, they would hardly be willing to defend him dead. That's the first thing. Secondly, if they had broken into the tomb, they would have had to, first of all, ensure that the guards were indeed asleep or distract them in some way. And again, that was very dangerous for the guards because although the watch was three hours, and if they slept on duty, the penalty was death. So the guards had a vested interest in staying awake, and they would not have permitted them to break into the tomb. Thirdly, the seal. They would have had to break the seal as well. And then, having done all that, to roll the stone, I think it was a big stone, a very noisy stone, 
that certainly would have woken the guards if they were sleeping. And then, going into the, into the, into the tomb, would they have spent time to unwrap the body? Especially when the body had been um, dressed with myrrh, and myrrh is a gum which would have caused the flesh and the cloth to stick together. Plus the fact, of course, that there would be blood, there would be serum and, and so on, which would have caused it, as the, the cloth, to adhere to the body. So would they have spent time taking this off? And then, would they run through Jerusalem with, a, with the body, naked body of a dead man? You know, so the, the idea of theft is you know, absurd. But nonetheless, the lie was sufficient to convince the Jews that, in fact, Christ was not their Messiah, that he was an imposter. And yet, our Lord's um, resurrection is certain. It is the most incredible story we can possibly say. In fact, St. Paul says, for the Gentiles, it is madness. When St. Paul went to preach in Athens, everything was going fine. Everything he said made sense until he spoke about the resurrection from the dead. At which point, the wise men of Athens laughed and said, okay, we speak about these things another day. The resurrection from the dead is our Lord's greatest miracle. He raised himself. It was uh, the, the, the litmus test for Christian belief. If you do not believe in the resurrection, you cannot be a Christian. In fact, St. Paul in letter the first letter of the Corinthians goes on this point um, a great deal in the 15th chapter. If Christ has not been raised, you are the most unfortunate of people. If Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, we are the most desperate, and so on. But Christ has been raised, and it is in this that we rejoice. If Christ, our head, has been raised from the dead, then likewise his body, the church, his mystical body, our mother, the church, even as she goes through this darkness and this passion, she will rise again. We don't know whether this is the beginning of chastisements or whether it is the punishment, but for us it doesn't matter as long as we hold firm to that conviction, Christ has risen from the dead. He has overcome sin, he has overcome death, he has overcome hell, he has overcome the ancient enemy, the serpent. And he is still with us, and he fights with us, and above all, he lives in us. So Christ has risen from the dead, hallelujah, as he said he would, hallelujah. And in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Mm-hmm.